Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And we're here to have a great conversation with you as a continuation of the podcast that we did last week. And so today we're talking about IBC 201. This is kind of some more advanced conversations about whole life insurance and how to use it. And today we're specifically talking about insuring kids and grandkids. Uh, Bruce, I'll let you kind of share your thoughts right up front here before I dive a little deeper and introduce our topic today. Yeah, I hope people can uh, stay tuned into this because as soon as people start talking about life in- or hear about people talking about life insurance, they always have these preconceived notions and they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about death. I see it every day. Um, we're, it's funny, we in financial planning world, everybody's about all oh, the latest ETF or the stock or mutual fund or this and grow wealth and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, uh, there's no certainty in that. There's no if one of your goals is to actually build a legacy that can be sustained, um, then you're going to have to think about, you know, a death benefit. And that death benefit can be uh, one that you accumulate in assets along your life um, because that's a benefit to the next generation or it can be a leveraged death benefit, one that can be used uh, uh, through an insurance company. and there are ways to maximize that even. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, I think this is just such an interesting topic. And we're going to kind of approach this from one specific angle, but also another angle will come throughout this conversation. So the main angle of this is that if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that we talk about IBC or the infinite banking concept on a regular basis. And often we're sharing it more at an introductory level. Like here's why you would want to use it. And here's you know, how you can store cash and have a death benefit and be able to borrow against that capital. And it's a great place to store cash, which it absolutely is, uh, that you have safety, liquidity, and growth. But today we're kind of stepping into another level of this conversation because we know that there's many people, there are many people out there who are already using IBC. So maybe you have your first whole life policy already, maybe you're five, 10, even 15 years into the policy. And you're saying, I like this. It's working really well for me. I've seen my break-even point. I have more cash in cash value in this policy than I've paid in premium. I have a great death benefit. I'm taking loans and paying them back. I'm utilizing this policy. And now either my cash flow has increased and I have more cash that I want to store somewhere, or I have just sold a house and I want to figure out where to put that cash so that I can use it for investment properties. Or I'm in a, a business and our, our revenue has increased and now I have additional need to store profit so that I can use it productively in the business. Wherever you're coming from, this conversation is specifically for the person who's already using IBC and they want to use it more. So last time we talked about um, specifically, how to take your current infinite banking policy to the next level. So you can click back to last week's episode on that. And we really just talked about things like how to make sure you're paying full premiums or you're paying back policy loans so that you're 
re um, you're increasing the amount of loan ability that you can take from that policy and you're maximizing your cash storage the cash storage capacity of your infinite banking policy so today though we're going to talk about maybe you've you already have as much whole life insurance on yourself as you were able to qualify for in terms of how much cash flow you had when you started the policy and now you want to you want to store more cash and the question is do you put a bigger policy on yourself do you insure your wife or your husband your spouse do you insure your parents do you insure your children your grandchildren your business partner and kind of how do you think about this big picture concept of you're the person owning the policy you have access to this cash that you're putting into the policy you're you you have the policy loan taking privileges where do you place this policy and how do you think about it in the big picture of legacy planning bruce like you just mentioned how do i think about the death benefit how do i think about the cash value and how do i think about the people that i might be insuring what is really best for them so there's multiple angles here one is i want to store more cash where do i put this cash and secondly how do i make sure it's best for all of the other parties that i care about absolutely and um you know, this, this whole idea of a death benefit or legacy planning, if, if that's not, if that's not your forte or that if, if you don't have value that at all, then you probably ought to just stop listening right now. That's because true. I was talking to Rodney Mogan, uh, of mass mutual who we've had on the show just yesterday. And he says, you know, I really don't understand why people don't value, um, the death benefit. And he says that he believes that there's a certain faction of the infinite banking concept community out there that is downplaying the death benefit over and over and over. And he says he doesn't, he doesn't understand that because first of all, the, the death benefit is a gift that you can give, you know, going forward. And Rachel, before we were on here today, I was telling you how, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And I, it's, it's almost a hundred percent. I'll never say it is a hundred percent, but it's almost a hundred percent of the, of people that get a policy for X, Y, or Z reason. And then they get closer to my age or older. And all of a sudden they, at one time they said, well, the death benefit was important, but it wasn't that important. But suddenly as you get older and older and older, it gets very, very, very important. Mm -hmm. And I cannot convey that enough to younger people that you say, well, it's not that important. It would be like saying if you believe in, in um, retirement and you're trying to put away, I saw this uh, article the other day, millennials are putting away tons of money for their retirement in the future. So it's the same thing there. You're looking for an end goal, um, just like the millennials are putting away tons of money for retirement. You're putting away money into a cash value life insurance and the end goal, you, what you don't know yet as you're a young person is that the death benefit is very valuable. You just mm -hmm. don't realize it yet. You will realize it later on. And um, this is a very difficult concept because we do not want to think about our own uh, mortality. Mm -hmm. And um, it takes a very sp special person to think about their own mor mortality. So I think that in a that. healthy way, in a healthy way, not a right. scarcity way, but a healthy right. way, because 
I mean, we all know that we will pass away at some point. And so how do we make that event the most beneficial to our financial estate and our loved ones at whatever point in time that it happens, but not thinking about it like this doom and gloom or this impending sense of depression about the fact that we'll leave the earth at some point. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it's, uh, I'm, even though I've been in this about since the late eighties, I've only had to deliver two checks. Mm. Um, but when you deliver those checks, um, people, people really feel the joy of their, of the foresight of the person leaving it towards the beneficiary. It doesn't take back that person, but it, but it actually helps in the process. And so, um, we maybe that's this is the first thing we should transition to in the benefits of insuring yourself. Let's go ahead and do that because I think sometimes, and again, there's multiple objectives or multiple goals in this conversation here. Some person might just be the one saying, okay, how do we have the greatest family estate? And whatever that family wealth is, how do we have as many people contributing into that pot of family wealth as possible? And how do we maximize what we're doing with that family wealth so that it benefits not only the family today, but in future generations? And so that's one way to think about leaving or using life insurance and the goal to pass on a legacy and increase the family wealth. But there can be another goal that could be saying, well, I just want to store more cash today and my cash storage. Um, capacity is already, I already have a policy on myself. Maybe you have a a policy and you're putting in, I don't know, Bruce, what's a good number? Let's just say you're putting in um, $100,000 a year into a policy on yourself. And now you have an additional $100,000 that you want to be putting per year that you want to be putting somewhere. And you can either say, well, I can't get it into the current policy on myself. Do I put another policy on myself? Or, oh, my wife doesn't have any insurance at all. Should I put the whole life policy on her? Or how would this work if I put the policy on my kids? Oh, maybe I could pass that on as a gift to my children. And so I think really what we first need to ask is, let's go ahead with that, Bruce. What is the benefit of putting more insurance, more whole life insurance specifically, the infinite banking concept, whole life insurance on yourself? Yeah. So this this comes up quite often. The 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 Fastest benefit is this is reality. You put it on yourself, whether your kids or grandkids, is because uh, you're going to actuarially die first. I mean, that's just because of age. You're older. Just because of age. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, if you're looking to protect your income or to leave a legacy, then it would make sense to put it on yourself rather than your children. And frankly, if you're a male, rather than putting on on your spouse, unless you're a, a female, and I actually have a, some friends that where the female is 15 years older than the male, so that's a different dynamic. But usually, if it's on the male, actuarially they're going to die first. So the benefit of of it is that it will flow down to the next generations faster uh, when you're building this up. And Bruce, let me just interject for a second, because you call that a leveraged death benefit. So meaning whatever dollars of premium you've paid into the policy, the death benefit is always significantly more dollars than what you've paid into the policy. 
And so that means if X dollars are buying this death benefit, then Y dollars are going to pay out, which are way higher than what I've put in. And those will pass on to the next generation. So right. I don't want I don't, to interrupt your I, train of thought. Yeah. So here, here's an example. No, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. Let's say a 40-year-old male puts in $40,000 a year, going to get close to a million dollars of death benefit, all things being equal. And I always tell people, um, the reason they're offering this to you is because um, they know you're not going to die this year, <laughs> actuarially. Mm -hmm. Does it happen? Yes, but actuarially it doesn't. And I say, you, the reason, the, here's how we know it doesn't happen more than actuarially they're predicting is because it's not a good deal for a life insurance company for you to make one payment of $40,000 and then they pay your spouse a million dollars in less than a year. Think That's of their a, ROI. It's terrible. I right, mean, they right. not, lost a lot of a money. <laughs> so, right. So the, they're pretty sure that you're not going to die within that year. And so that is, that is what we call leverage death benefit. You're leveraging up 40,000 into the possibility of a million. Mm -hmm. And as we go along, the ways these are designed is the 40,000 you place in the next year will then have the death benefit go even up even higher than $1 million. In this case, it'll probably go to somewhere about $1.18 million, an uh, increase about 180,000. Because a 40 year old usually gets an increase a little bit less than five times whatever they put into the policy. So those are things to consider. And now, so when you have a leveraged death benefit and then you were to pass away, so let's say you put that in there for seven, 10, 15 years and you have a whole lot more money that's going to go to the next generation. The, the conversation I have with clients all the time is is that better for overall state planning? Than it would be for you to put forty thousand or twenty thousand in for you, and then twenty thousand in for your spouse, or twenty thousand in for your child. And here's the thing that always comes up, Rachel, is well, it would make more sense to put it on my child because the cost of insurance is going to be less, so we'll have more cash value. Now, well, that's another show, but that's not necessarily true. And the reason it's not true necessarily is that these uh, policies endowed a certain time. And so the actuaries are actually designing them to get to a certain place. So they actually, the older you are, the more you participate in the dividends from the company. And we're not going to go into that today, but I'm just going to tell you, it's not necessarily true that you're going to get more cash value growth just because you have less insurance costs. And that's really important to think about. I mean, even if you're just using this as a cash accumulation tool, it may, Bruce, you're saying it may not be better cash accumulation to put the policy on your child today rather than putting it on yourself. Yeah, it depends on the timeline you're talking about cash accumulation. You know, yeah, long term, your, your child may, may, for 60 years over their life period, they may accumulate money a lot more over that 60 years. Mm, however, mm -hmm. however, during that 60 year period, the likelihood of you dying and leaving them a lot more money than what they're accumulating over that 60 years is much greater because of the leverage death benefit. Yes. So when you take that into consideration, those are all, all the things you need to take into consideration. And, um, 
you know, even if you can, even if you can't do it all with whole life, then you can add a term policy mm-hmm. on, onto yours or human life value. We talk about insurance companies will insure you up to your human life value. And that simply means that they're replacing the estate rather than creating the estate. Because one of the things that bothers me, Rachel, all the time, I hear people say, well, I don't want to be worth more dead than I'm, I am alive. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, that's impossible mm-hmm. because insurance companies won't allow that to happen. And people are under this weird thing. They're, so, they're like, well, look, I got a million dollars of death benefit. I don't want my wife to, to knock me off to get that million dollars because that's <laughs> right. I'm worth more. And I, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How much do you make? Oh, I make 120000 a year. Well, a million dollars, it's only going to last your, your wife about seven years then if she doesn't make anything off of it. So you're not worth more dead than you are alive. Even if, yes. even if she invested and you make 5% on it, which is not a guarantee, but you make five, you're only making $50,000 a year. So this idea that a million dollars is way too, or even $2 million. Mm-hmm. Is way too much that I'm, my wife's going to knock me off, and uh, I'm going to be insurance poor, and my yeah. wife's going to be rich. Um, is is a weird concept to me because people don't understand. It's the most disheartening thing as as uh, coming out of education, Rachel. Is how many how much people do not understand numbers very well, and not even the the intricacies of the numbers, but the conceptual part of the numbers. Well, I so think all that has to be taken into consideration. Yeah, I would say something. Um, if you're hearing this part of the conversation and you're saying, well, that sounds really interesting, I would encourage you go over to lifehappens.org and there are multiple calculators for life insurance there. And if you use the one for human life value, it's also called human life economic value, just plug in your age, your income level and find out what your human life value is. Now, this calculator will help you to see the idea of human life value is if you were to pass away today, what is your current income that you're earning per year? And factor that out until the end of when you would expect to continue earning income. It, it will factor in, well, there's probably going to be some inflation with that. You're probably going to have a cost of living adjustments. You're probably going to have your income increase incrementally over that span of time. How much would you have made had you had the capacity to live all the way until the end of your earning years and earn all that money? It's way higher than most people think. And so I think there's a significant, almost a tragic undervaluing of our own life in economic terms, which then translates to people saying, oh, I have enough insurance. There's enough to pay off the house, or I've got $100,000 of death benefit. And they think, oh, you know, that's, that's enough to bury me and pay off some loans here and there. Or maybe... Maybe I have a million dollar policy because that's enough to bury me really well and also pay off my almost million dollar house. And that's all the life insurance I need. But really, that's a a tragic undervaluation of your human life value. And so where Bruce is bringing in this idea of term life insurance, what I would highly recommend, and I'll even, I don't know if I should say advise right here, but I would advise people to take a look at the amount of death benefit that you have. And most people are unable to fund a whole life insurance policy up to the maximum death benefit that they qualify for. And the reason I say that is that you put more dollars in premium into a whole life policy. And if you are looking to get 
two or four million dollars of death benefit coverage to put the dollars into a whole life policy to get a four million dollar policy today is possibly not where your cash flow situation is at to be able to pay that in just whole life insurance. And so you need to be thinking about two things. One, how do I get my cash storage component up to where it needs to be? How do I store more cash? But also how do I get the most death benefit on myself as possible so that I can have that leverage death benefit then pay out to my family for long-term legacy planning? And so that often means supplementing your whole life policy with term. And that's super easy, very simple process to go through to add on term life insurance to make sure you have the most death benefit you can qualify for. Yeah. And I can give you real life examples. And also, I think coming into this is you have to be, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be disciplined. Okay. So we have a client that's going through underwriting right now at $500,000 a year because he wants a death benefit that is high enough. He's 42 or 43 years old. I can't remember. He's young 40s. He wants a death benefit high enough that if he passes, that his wife and children will have enough money to live on $400,000 a year, even though he, even though he makes three and a half million dollars right now, because they're frugal. They don't live well above their means. So he's the one case where he doesn't need a term writer. I'm sorry. He needs a term writer. He doesn't need a another a term, term policy, policy to get to his human life value because his human life value. Um, he doesn't need to get to that three and a half million mark of in cash flow because he only needs and his wife only would like four hundred thousand to live off off of, which is more than enough to satisfy. Um, That's a really good lifestyle. point. Yeah. So you have to do an evaluation of that whole situation. We have another. I have another client who just put a, who just put a four hundred thousand dollar death benefit in place to go with his permanent. It's a term policy. Uh, he's fifty eight years old, so he got a he got a twenty year term up to seventy eight, for about thirty eight hundred dollars a year, and to he he and his wife that was worth it for peace of mind to boost that up another several hundred thousand dollars. Um, because he was trying to get closer to his human life value. So these are real life examples of how people use this to actually uh, income protection, but also for legacy planning, because they, this particular couple would also like to leave some uh, other sons. Um, and this is, comes in another student loan debt. They have student loan debt. So their sons are making minimum payments on their student loans, and then they're going to use through their trust the the death benefit's going to go in the trust and then the trust is going to pay off the student loans. Okay, uh, very nice. Life. Very they, nice. And and cuz cuz the, the uh, student loans are going up by 6.45% a year, but the leverage death benefit will be will be growing by a lot more over the next 20 years of that than that. So it's a good way to to kind of offset that. And then the boys can use the excess cash to actually well, one of them has started his own policy. Other ones, they use it to actually invest. So co this coordinated generational planning is very, very important. Uh, there's so much to talk about here. One is, okay, well, if you do want whole life insurance on your kids, why do you want it on them? And is it better for you to fund it today with your dollars or to do exactly what you, sh you shared, Bruce, 
put the insurance on myself so that my death benefit pays out to my kids. They're able to use that leverage death benefit to buy more insurance or put whole life insurance on themselves, which then that will be a significantly higher amount of death benefit they'll buy and a significantly higher cash storage component if they're using your death benefit proceeds at whatever time that is. Maybe it's 50 years from now, but when they use that to buy more life insurance, the amount of life insurance they'll be buying is much higher. So then that comes into another step of the conversation, which means we have insurability issues. Not everyone can qualify for insurance. And so you could think, well, really what we want to do is maximize our amount of insurance that we get on each of the people that we're concerned about as early as possible because you never know when that door for insurability will close. That can include on yourself. Maybe you have a current policy in place right now and you say, well, at some point I want another whole life policy on myself, but maybe I'll wait five years, 10 years before I'm ready to do that. What you want to do is have the term life insurance today that locks in your insurability and allows you to convert that over into whole life at that 10-year mark or 15-year mark, even if you've come into health complications along the way that make you now at that point in time, now uninsurable or less insurable. And same would go for your kids. I mean, Bruce, this is something we were just talking about right before the show, but maybe one thing to think about is if you go ahead and put a term policy on your child now, it's going to be very low in terms of the premium dollars that go in. But if you maximize their death benefit now, you're locking in that insurability for that amount of death benefit for a convertible policy that you can then convert over into whole life, even if they came into diagnoses of autoimmune conditions or or um, diabetes, diabetes, yeah, that we were talking about or uh, reoccurring cancers. Cancer is not a, is not an automatic decline down the road, but, but some of them are that their potential of reoccurring. Um, So all this has to take in place. I, um, another real life example we were talking about before the show where there's three daughters and a, and a spouse, the wife, they discovered that, uh, they have a genetic disorder. They didn't discover it until the daughters were in the teens. And uh, they have three different kind of autoimmune problems, and they cannot be insured anymore, or the wife cannot be dis- insured. And they actually discovered it when um, she was trying to get long-term care because one of her parents were going through long-term care issues. And then they said, well, you have this, so now you need to go see if your daughters have it. And the teenage daughters did have it, so they're mm-hmm. not insurable now. But if they would have had it, if they would have had life insurance put on their before, they could honestly tell in the application, I have no problems. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not and, – and actuaries figure in all that stuff because uh, just for, the, for everybody to know – Anybody under 18 years of age can get a life insurance policy with no paramedical examination. All you have to do is fill out a health questionnaire. Now, there is a possibility that if something comes up in the health questionnaire, that they may ask you to do some paramedicals. But in general, anybody under 17 doesn't have to take any paramedical exams. In other words, they don't have to they don't have to draw blood. They don't have to mm-hmm. do an EKG, so on and so forth. And so you're really locking in uh, based upon the health questionnaire so that if these issues come up later on, 
then you have this policy in place. Either it's a term policy that you can convert to a permanent policy or you already have a permanent policy in place. So this is a good transition to talk about why do people want to put a permanent policy in place for their children or grandchildren? Because I have several clients that have done this. And it, it, when we just got done saying that, you know, it would be better to maximize your human life value. Well, the reason they do it is for two reasons. One, they just kind of want to give a gift while they're still living and mm-hmm. say, here, at 18 or 22 or whenever you decide, here is this policy because you can change ownership at any time. Or they do it because they want to teach the child and, and help them see it growing as a, where, a place to save money and then teach the child to continue to save that money. So it's a discipline thing for the children. It's a, it's a money life lesson that they're trying to teach the children. And, yes, uh, which I see, honestly, I see people doing that in so many different areas. I mean, I hear about stockbrokers who are training their children to understand the stock market and investing with their own dollars, or maybe the parent is matching dollars and they're training them in what to look for in the stock market. Well, if that's where you're investing your dollars, then you want to not only just give money to your kids, but you want to teach them how to make the money or invest the money the way that you would in your own life. You want to build those skills in them. The way that I think about it is I'm thinking I'm storing cash and saving cash. So that's the discipline of making sure that there's something left over at the end of each month. And then how do I take the cash that I've stored and invest that in what I know and control so that I can earn cash flow on my investments? And so those are things that you want to be able to teach your kids. And if you're wanting to do this for stewardship purposes and helping them to see the benefit of storing cash and then using that cash for investing purposes, it's a fantastic tool to do that. However, the cool thing is you don't have to have a policy on them for them to be able to borrow against the capital. So another thing to think about is that if I'm building a family banking system and I have my cash value, I can provide them the ability to ask for a loan against my policy or my husband's policy, or a combination of policies that we have in the family unit that I own, even if I'm not the insured of, then my children can ask for a loan to use for a, buying a house or an investment property or a business venture, and they can qualify for that loan. And I can decide, am I going to grant that to them or not? And is this something that I think is going to be paid back? Is it a good use of my dollars? Is it a good investment to put towards them? And so you can think about they have the ability to use capital and build those steward that stewardship muscle and the ability to manage money well, even if the policy is not on them as the insured. Yeah, this is uh, this is comes down to what we were talking about before the show. You know what we advise and and how we educate. So there's a difference between being advising you and educating you. You know we could educate you all day about how the intricacies of these work. And we could also advise you in that, and that would be with the goal being in mind, you make the decision. Um, or we could advise you and say, well, well we, we listen to you and you can't quite make a decision. So here's what we would say based upon the goals you've told us, what you've said to your, about your, uh, your family, this is the advice we would give you to move forward. But you have to be, you have to be, um, comfortable making a decision because you you know your family better than we know your family 
So that's a, a person really, when they're trying to move forward, they really have to be comfortable with the, uh, making the decision. And uh, that, is a, that is a learned behavior, I believe, for a lot of people. And I would say as well, if you're listening to this, we're not speaking to your specific situation. We're talking about a wide range of circumstances that you may see yourself identifying with some pieces of what we're sharing. But in order to really look at your specific case, you would really want to have a conversation with an advisor to look at your full set of goals and the the assets and the liabilities that you have in your family unit and whether there's businesses or what the cash flows look like and really design your best strategy to accomplish your goals based on your given circumstance. So um, Bruce, I think there's so much more that we could cover here and um, let's talk. Okay. So we've probably mentioned here, I just want to clarify, there's three different parties whenever you have an insurance policy. There's the insured, there's the owner, and there's the beneficiary. And so you, if you are putting the dollars in, you are the owner of the policy. However, the insured is the person that insurance is on. And then the beneficiary is who receives the death benefit of that policy. And what's interesting is, Bruce, you and I both know you can change the beneficiary, you can change the owner, but you cannot change the insured. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is that perhaps you're the owner and the insured is yourself, and later you give ownership of that policy to your child. You can do that. Perhaps you are the owner, your child is the insured. And today you have access to the cash value and they're just the insured. Then later you can give the policy to them. Bruce, you had this happen in your own family situation that you were the insured on a policy your parents purchased, right? right? And then later you said you were about to buy a house and you didn't even know you had the policy. And then they said, here's this policy that you're the insured on. Now we're giving you the ownership. So now right. you can use it to borrow. So that's a possibility. And then the beneficiary can change. The beneficiary may be yourself. The beneficiary may be um, your spouse. The beneficiary could be a trust. So there's not, and you could change the beneficiary as well, that maybe today, if you're buying a policy on your child, perhaps you are the beneficiary of the policy. You can do that, right, Bruce? Right, right. Or you could make it so that you have, in the future, the family trust is the beneficiary, or perhaps it switches to their children become the beneficiary. So there's a lot of moving parts here and a lot of things that, a lot of possibilities. I guess I shouldn't say moving parts. There's a lot of possibilities. You can do a lot of things, but um, let's talk about who can you even insure? Because sometimes I think we have this idea that, well, I could insure anyone. We really can't just insure anybody. You need insurable interest. So let's talk about what that means. Yeah. So um, obviously, obviously spouses can insure each other. I, well, I, I don't know if it is obvious, but because uh, you, you have an insurable interest. In other words, you have both in a, um, a financial and emotional interest that that person stays alive. Um, now, children under the age of 18 are very easy to insure because you have an emotional interest, uh, not necessarily financial, but an emotional. Now, they do not allow you to have unlimited death benefit on your child you can only have 50% of what you have as a spouse. Uh, as a spouse, I'm as sorry, a parent. I'm sorry, as a parent, excuse me, mm -hmm. as a parent. So you can only have 50%. Now that, that actually, because the children get a lot of death benefit, that actually is not a lot of money 
for a policy, uh, whether term or for a permanent, because you know you could put you could put a, on a two year old you could put a hundred dollars a month and they'll have a million dollars of death benefit. So that means the parent is going combined needs to have about two million dollars of death benefit. So hear this. I'm just going to interject. Hold your hold your thought. I don't. I want to come right back to this. If you are not maximizing your own human life value, you're limiting the amount of insurance you can put on your you children. Absolutely are. Yes, I'm actually having a discussion with a with a policyholder on Monday night because he wants to put he wants to put on in one of his daughters, and we in order to do that, we're going to have to boost up his um, death benefit. And so, yes, absolutely. Grandchildren are a little bit more difficult uh, to do because the parents or your child, <laughs> your child, which would be the parents of your grandchildren, they have to have life insurance on their life in order for the grandparent to take uh, out on the grandchild. And even there, there's all kinds of rules that are different between uh, companies. What, what you can do often, is change owner ownership and insurance companies are all okay with that. So let's say that uh, you decide that your child who's an adult that has children doesn't have enough life insurance, but they claim they can't pay for her anymore. They don't have it in their budget, you know, so on and so forth. So you want to buy more life insurance on your adult child. Um, why would you do that? I always tell parents, does your child, your adult child, have life insurance? And they'll say, no, it's one of the things that bothers us. They don't. I said, well, they have life insurance. And they go, no, no. I ask them. They don't have life insurance. I said, no, they have life insurance. You're their life insurance. Because if they would pass away, what would you do? Those grandchildren would go where? To, well, to yeah, the they grandparents. Would go, they would come into our home. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, you're their life insurance policy. So if you want to purchase life insurance on your adult child, most insurance companies, once they're an adult, yes, there's an emotional attachment, but they're not really keen about that. So and the reason the, would just be if your adult child passed away, you're not necessarily, you as the grandparents of the grandchildren or the parent of the adult children, you don't necessarily, it's not going to be a financial strain to you right. necessarily if right. they passed away. You can kind of prove it to them, an insurance company, if if there's a trust that says the children will will go to the grandparents, but you have to talk to the insurance companies. But another way you can do it is simply have the the child, your child, qualify on their own accord, on the, on their income level, so on and so forth, and then once they put it in place, they change the ownership to the grandparents. Mm, okay. And then, and then the grandparents just make the payments and they also hold the keys to the ability to take a loan. They also, you then make them the beneficiary beneficiary because if you pass away, you want, you want to use the, or if the, if your adult child, child. The, the child passes away, you want to use those proceeds then to raise the children. And so it's, it's a way to, to protect the entire bloodline uh, that maybe your adult ch children don't have the capital, but you do and you're, and you're trying to protect the bloodline as far as financially. So that's a, 
I wouldn't say it's a very common way because I don't think parents, grandparents, parents, and children talk enough about how this works. Mm-hmm. We try to get it. We try to get it out, and we have placed several policies in this accord using this method. And I think what's interesting is that ultimately, if you're the grandchild right now and you're thinking, "I want to ensure my grandkids," the reason for doing that is usually we kind of hinted at this, but I just wanted to make it really clear and plain. Usually, the reason for doing that would be. Well, I want to give them money or I want to give them something that they can own that will accumulate a certain dollar amount that we know that basically I'm giving them a good gift. I could just give them cash every birthday and they'll probably spend it all. I could save the cash in a, I don't know, a savings account over their entire 18 years and then give it to them, but that's not going to grow very fast. I could put it in savings bonds. I could put it in a mutual fund. I could put it um, anywhere. I mean, Bruce, we could talk about other tools that you would use for that type of a gift that I'm giving money for them to be able to use at some future date to go to college or buy a house or start a business or pay for a wedding or whatever that is that you're incrementally saving along the way. And so the purpose then is if you're wanting to give that gift, you want that to really be something that's going to truly benefit their life. But life insurance is a powerful way to be able to do that. Yeah. Think about this. The number one time that we sell long-term care insurance at E3 is when somebody has a long-term care incident with their parents mm-hmm. and, they, and they see their assets just be whittled down. They call us and say, we don't want to do this to our children. So how do we get long-term care insurance? The number one way that car dealerships sell extended service contracts to cars in other words, and it's an insurance policy, if your car breaks down, is when people have had a major problem with their car, so they have an experience with this. The number one thing that people come up to me and say, I want to I take care of my child, is certainly because they want to give them a gift in the future. The number two reason they do it is because they find out that their spouse, or if it's a, their own child, not their grandchild, now is it not insurable for the rest of their life. And they say, I want to get insurance that is guaranteed on, on my grandchild or child for the rest of their life because I've experienced this. Well, if it's good for a bad situation, then you ought to be planning on a bad situation when it's good too, because that's, right. what, it, that's what insurance is for. The best time to buy insurance is when you don't need it. Um, yes, which is also the least... Um, intuitive or the most right. counterintuitive thing to do to plan for a rainy day when it's sunny outside. I mean, if you were uh, a Bible reading person to build an ark when there is not a drop of rain in the sky and you're hearing that there's going to be a flood that's going to cover the whole earth. I mean, it, it is the least counterintuitive thing to do to plan for a worst case scenario when you're living really well right now, but it's the best time to plan for that. Yes. All right. So, so- Go ahead, Bruce. You want to hit the, the other three reasons? Um, yes. So we, we've done other podcasts on these three, so we can probably just review these real quickly. So oh. uh, a business partner uh, for a buy-sell agreement. So this is very common, and yet people, they don't do it or they do it poorly. And so let's, like, let's just say we're 50-50 owners in a profitable company. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in a profitable company, then if one of the owners dies, you don't automatically 
get the other 50% of the of the of the ownership, you got to pay out the estate if you want the other 50%. And I don't think most people think about that. No, so, they don't. And so what, Bruce, if you and I are owning two halves of a business and I pass away, my family and my estate gets my half. And if you want to own this business fully, then what happens is you have to have some mechanism to buy the other half of the business from my family. And I think that's maybe the easiest way to think about that. Yeah. And some people listening might say, well, why would I want to buy it? I'll just keep letting them, I'll just keep doing my work and just keep letting them get 50% of the profits. Well, you've lost a worker and you're a key worker in your business, your business partner. So now you're going to have to replace the business partner with, with their work that they did. Mm -hmm. and, the, and that's going to come out of cash flow. And you also have to continue to make the payment uh, of the of the profits to that particular family. So the best way- And you're also in business with that family now. If they, I mean, originally the business partner had a say in the business um, operations and now their family has a general say in the operations. And if they want things to go a certain way, you're trying to work with their estate to make those business decisions that maybe you would prefer to make on your own. Correct. You can you could actually take care of that a little bit legally with a with a good uh, good worded uh, operating agreement that says upon death, hundred percent of the decisions are the surviving partner. However, just because it's legally stated doesn't mean it's going to actually come out where they're going to continue to say, "Well, I think you should be doing this," or "I think you should take the company in this this direction," so on and so forth. So it so you simply take. You take uh, policies out on each other, and you're the beneficiary. And so when that comes out, then you use those death proceeds to buy out the other portion of the company, and then it becomes 100% yours. So that's that's a real important key. A key employee um, would be a salesman. I'm, I'm talking to a company here in St. Louis right now who the person believes that they, he can't afford to lose the salesperson because it's, it's a majority of their revenue. And so he wants to protect them in case that person were to pass away, that they'd have a large amount of money to keep the company running well while they're trying to replace him. And he, he frankly doesn't think he's ever going to find a, I think this is a, a bad way of thinking, but he doesn't think he's ever going to be able to replace this person um, sales ability. So we're actually putting in a key person insurance for this one. And then that same person wants to put an executive bonus compensation for that same salesperson mm. because he doesn't want him to leave. He doesn't want him to die and he doesn't want him to leave. So we're putting together a, uh, an executive bonus program where we're going to put so much money into a life insurance program over five years and it'll become vested after five years. And then it will become the employee's um, plan. Now, this. Rachel, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this particular portion with this little thing because when I first started talking to this business partner, uh, I'm sorry, this business owner, he said, "Oh, I don't want to do life insurance. I used to sell life insurance, and I know it's expensive, and I don't want to pay for all that life insurance. I just want to do um, like a brokerage account. You, there's laws that say you cannot discriminate mm -hmm. with with they're called ERISA." So your 401k or any stocks, bonds, mutual funds, 
you cannot just give a compensation to one employee using that. Right. You, can't, you can do it with life insurance. That's not an ERISA um, controlled product. So if you're going to do an executive bonus program, it has to be done with life insurance. It cannot be done any other way um, to get that bonus. So that's just a little caveat a lot of people apparently don't know about. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is this all comes back to the idea of I like insurance. It's working really well for me. I have additional cash I want to store, whether it's in my business or my personal life. Who am I going to insure? And then what else am I accomplishing by that insurance? And so we're just showing how it could be a gift. It could be a legacy transfer. It could be an income replacement. It could be a funding for a buy-sell agreement. It could be an executive bonus plan. It could be the um, golden handcuffs on that, if you will. It's also can be termed that as well. Or it could be insurance for a key employee. So just wanting to expand your way of thinking. There's also, you can insure your parents in many capacities. And usually the insurable interest comes from this idea that if my parents became sick, I would probably end up being their caregiver. And if you are financially caring for them during their end of life years, then the insurance, the life insurance can be the reimbursement for that financial output. And so there's insurable interest right there. And sometimes it could be really advantageous. In fact, I'm wishing that I had insured my parents and parents-in-law when we first learned about life insurance. But this all happens to figure out, you have to figure out where you stand in terms of the cash that you have to put into insurance in the first place. And then where is the best place to build all of the human life value as high as possible? And it may not all be with IBC or infinite banking. It may also be with term life insurance policies, but there's tremendous benefit. And Bruce, do you want to share your circumstance? You, you raise your hand. I know well, you're I'm insuring just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, yeah, I did that with my father. And I just simply told the life insurance company, when my father passes, and he was 71 at the time. Here's another thing. People say, oh, I'm too old to get life insurance. I did it on my father when he was 71. And I just simply told the life insurance company, when he passes, um, his pension goes away. His social security stays, but my mom's social security goes away because you only get the higher the two benefits. Mm-hmm. And and my father's eighty two years old, and he's still working, so he's still bringing in almost ten thousand dollars a year, and not because he has to, because he wants to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they, like every grandparent, they spend most of that money on grandkids. So I so I basically told my the insurance company. I'm going to have to take care of my mother because she, her, her standard of living is going to go way down. And so I had an insurable interest in my dad. And so I took out the, the life insurance policy on my father and it's been working very, very well, you know, going forward. So, uh, uh, we've actually used it. Um, now I'm the owner and the beneficiary, but he has asked me if he could borrow against the, the cash for other things. And we've done that mm-hmm. uh, for for a rental property that he bought. Um, and we're so let's just be clear. Policy. So you're funding the policy. So you're the owner. He's the insured. Who's the beneficiary? We're the on the, the beneficiary. My wife and I are the, uh, trust is a beneficiary. And now he, the insured, who's not the owner, wanted to buy rental property, and so you, the owner, provided him the accessibility for a loan to right. buy a, a rental property that he owns. 
Yeah, what's great about this, and people don't realize this, so he bought the rental property, and then the renters, we actually have their their a check on file, EFT, the rent check goes right back into the, the, the uh, to pay off the loan. Oh, excellent. And you can actually do that. So a third party can actually be paying, paying off the loan because all they need is the checking account that it's coming into, coming out of to pay off the loan. That's excellent. So you don't have then the administration of your father having to receive that rent check in his bank account, write you a check to you, Bruce, and then Bruce write a check to the life insurance company. It's going straight from the renters, straight over, skipping all those steps in between, which just lightens the load for you and the peace of mind that knowing your loan is getting paid back. Absolutely. All right. So um, we're almost at the top of our time frame. We can only go maximum of one hour on our awesome new platform of LinkedIn. So if you're watching us there, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm going to let you know two things. One, we're going to be continuing on this conversation in our next topic or in our next conversation with just the two of us without our guests. And so we're going to be talking then about, okay, now what if you do own multiple policies? How do you think about managing these different pots of money well to, to accomplish your goals, whether it's increasing your family wealth or whether it's increasing generational wealth or whatever your ultimate goal is, how to do that well when you're managing a system of policies, not just one. Um, but I will say we've had a couple of comments here. Dylan, thank you for joining us over on LinkedIn. Um, I know Dylan personally. Um, he said this towards the beginning. He said, no kids, but don't want to pay taxes on profits. I've got one and wife. I think he means an insurance policy on him and one on the wife. He said, so you are saying I can take profits from refi for other profit-making endeavors and stick it in the whole life insurance without paying the income tax? Uh, no. Wait a minute. He said from refi. Pro from I don't refi. Know, I don't know what he means by profits. I guess he's calling equity. or other profit-making so, endeavors. Um, so no, no you're going to. He may or may on. not be on still. So Dylan, comment if you're on. I can't comment back on LinkedIn. So uh, we yeah. can. Well, just just to clarify, you always have to pay uh, profits from outside of life insurance policy. But then once you have the profits and put it inside the life insurance pro policy that the proceeds grow tax-free. So that may be what he's talking about. Um, because it that may, is, it's like, if you, if, look at our, or if you look at our podcast, our podcast, A Rich Man's Roth, mm -hmm. that, that would explain that. He may be talking about something else. I don't know. All right. Um, so he also then comments, just had to talk with sisters on setting up custodial account for niece. Not sure if this is the same thing. Just wanted to say hi and love this. So yeah. Bruce, is there anything you want to comment on that? No, it, you know, it's basically the same thing we talked about. Um, I actually haven't done it. Uh, my, we're in a similar situation. My wife and I were married 35 years. We never had any children. We have 10 nieces and nephews, and I've exposed, you know, several of them to this concept. We haven't, we haven't actually taken out any uh, life insurance policies on our nieces and nephews. This comes down to, again, we decided to use our capital to build up our death benefit as high as possible to leave it to the trust that will then be distributed to nieces and nephews because we thought that was a better way to actually use our capital. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's what our family decided. I'm not saying that's what you should do, but that's what our family decided. 
Yeah. And actually to piggyback on that, that's what my husband and I are doing at this time as well is looking to build up the policies and the death benefit on ourselves that will pay out to a trust, which will take care of our minor children right now that are ages nine and two. And as we age and as they age, we will continue to put policies on ourselves that will then have a death benefit for them to purchase additional life insurance with. So I also love the idea of putting the maximum term life insurance on children now so that you're locking in their insurability. Yeah. And, uh, and then and they can use that to convert their term insurance. They can use the trust proceeds to convert their term insurance down the road. Yes. All right. Jesus, um, thank you for joining us over on YouTube. That's why healthcare should be a right and provided to everyone. Um, I disagree a little bit. I don't remember where that came in um, on the show. It was at 1123. I'm not sure what we were discussing exactly at that moment. Um, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know. Um, I think you, it, it wasn't when we were talking about what's insurable and what's not insurable. I think that's yeah, what he was. It, yeah, that's probably true. And, you know, that's a philosophical question, basically. You know, what is a right? Mm. Uh, that is for uh, society to decide. Uh, I'm not sure that, you know, uh, we can decide what a right is for everybody. Um, you know, like even to the right to bear arms, what society has decided that the majority of people agree with that. Um, what I think there's always unintended consequences to everything. Mm, um, sure. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if we will get into that discussion or philosophical way of But thinking. thank you for commenting. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts there. So um, we will be wrapping within the next three minutes here. So I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you, if this um, conversation really just either brought up questions for you or thoughts about what you're doing with your own life insurance right now, or what you're doing with your gifting program to your children and your grandchildren, or what you're doing with your legacy planning or your estate planning, or, or thinking about building family wealth in general, I would encourage you to reach out to us. You can go to themoneyadvantage.com and right on that front page, you can do two things. One, you can get our guide that explains a little bit more about how life insurance works. And that's really from a perspective of how to store cash and be able to use it to amplify your um, your path to building time and money freedom. It's not as much talking about the death benefit capacity or generational planning like we discussed today, but it's more of a primer or an introduction to infinite banking as a whole. And then we also have the ability to book straight on our advisor's calendar. And this would really bring you into to a position of saying, here's what I have going on in my life right now. And here's my family and here's my needs and here's my goals. And here's my situation. What is the best thing for me to do today, given all that information? And so we help you not just look at your life insurance, but really to, we help you look at everything you're doing financially and optimize that, whether it's keeping more of the money that you make or then building on the next stage or the next level of a house and saying, how do I protect this money that I've made and that I'm storing? And then how do I use that money to make more? And then you're building out this full house, starting at the ground level in the basement and saying, how do I increase my, my profit from my current money? How do I protect it? How do I make more? And you're putting together this entire financial picture that is helping you to accelerate time and money freedom, which is having more income coming in than expenses. And that's from assets, not just from your daily work. So I just would encourage you that this is one small piece of a much bigger picture. And we'd love to help you with those next steps. Now, if you have questions, please go ahead and comment wherever you're seeing this video, or you can go over to just email hello at themoneyadvantage.com. And we'd love to grab your questions and include those in the next 
episode in this series. And I'll just say thank you for being with us today. Thank you for joining in this journey. Thank you for bettering your financial mindset so you can make better decisions. And in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk, and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.